It's time to find balance and be refreshed here on Every Heart, Every Woman. Every Heart, Every Woman. Get ready for uplifting music and inspiring interviews. Every Heart, Every Woman. Let's get motivated to move forward as we share our life experiences. Welcome to the Every Heart, Every Woman radio show. I am your host, Carla Nivens. Uh, before we jump into our interview for today, we're going to set the tone like we always do with some music. This is Everlasting Love. It is from my CD entitled True Worship. Sit back and enjoy.
Welcome back to the Every Heart, Every Woman radio show. My name is Carla Nivens. I am your host. I hope you enjoyed Everlasting Love. That is from my CD, True Worship. Well, our show is a program of Love Ministries, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can find out all of the great information about Love Ministries. Just go to their website. Go to loveministriesbuilds.org. Org, and you can find out all of the things that Love Ministries is doing in, even in this season. Well, I am so excited to welcome our guest for today. We are welcoming for the first time Tanya Garnett, and she is actually joining us from Chicago. So we're very excited about that. Tanya is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is certified. She's a certified domestic violence professional. And um, right now, Tanya, I know that a lot of our um, a lot of our listeners are, are going through different things, uh, different ups and downs with being home uh, for COVID-19. And a lot of us are also worried about or concerned about our uh, our family members. So I'm excited for our conversation today. And I know that it's truly going to help uh, so many of us. But Tanya, I would like to start out kind of knowing more about your background. You started Kimmy G Foundation, and I would love to know why you got to the point of starting this um, this foundation. Okay, we can start there. That's a great place to start. Um, so Kimmy G Foundation was birthed out of the, uh, losing my youngest sister, Kimberly Garnett, to domestic violence. Hmm. She was murdered May 17, 2005 by her boyfriend. They had been in a relationship for about five years. And um, I, I, I'm a social worker. And I, I had finished my undergrad. She had finished her undergrad in business. She was in this relationship. And I was working at the core center, which is a center for infectious disease. And somehow I was I got approved to take the 40-hour domestic violence training. It had nothing to do with my job. I know it was God because it had nothing to do with my job and my job paid for it. Um, and so within the very first class, I knew from what I had you know, observed in Kim's relationship that she was in an abusive situation. I called my sister on my way home from training and I was like, I don't know how we're going to help Kim, but we're going to have to figure out how she can get out. You know, before I finished the training, um, my sister was murdered. I found out while I was at the training, I left, went to the house. And, and my thinking was they thought she got hurt, but she's not dead. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, but in fact, she was. And so it was one of those things where it's, I have two siblings, Kimberly, and then my oldest sister, Wendy, and um, my mom, very tight, close. And mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, how did this happen underneath the radar? You know, you know, but then within hindsight is always 2020, because you go back and you think like, oh, yeah, she missed Christmas. We never miss holidays, mm-hmm. miss Thanksgiving, or um, you go over the house and, and they, they won't let you in, or She's on the phone with with you, and then she has to get off the phone because you hear him in the background, you know, telling her to get off the phone. Like little things like that that now you kind of put together. She had left him uh, twice uh, before, but we know like it takes up to at least seven times <laughs> to leave wow. before they actually leave. So she had probably left maybe two or three times, but the last time, like two weeks prior to him murdering her, she was at my house. And that's when she mentioned to me that he had hit her. Um, 
And so that conversation started to like, you deserve better. You know, you can stay here as long as you want. She's going to look for an apartment. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not telling her you need to leave him because I'm not knowing the extent of what it was. We found out at trial the extent of the of the abuse. Hmm. But, you know, she minimized it. Well, like we normally do because there's a lot of shame attached to being a, a victim. And and she's from a tight family. She's educated. You know, she's a mom and, and it just doesn't go together with in society that that's what a victim looks like. So there's right. a lot of shame attached to it. Um, but even just out of that, learning about it, um, knowing the signs that we missed, you know, uh, in t- 2006, I, I decided like, you know, hey, because I had got invited to to speak about Kimberly and it went to a different event. I'm like, well, maybe we should put something together just to provide education and resources to families and to, to women that are experiencing domestic violence. And so we were doing, we were going into churches and speaking about domestic violence. We were going into uh, different educational um, events where we had tables just to provide information. Um, but then the more that I spoke about her, the more that I found people around me, because like one in three women, you don't realize that it's really, really close. And, you know, remembering my childhood of seeing my mom, you know, and my dad fight or other relationships that I've probably have been in that have been physical, but we don't define them as domestic violence until you really know, you know, what it is. Um, and so then it, it, it kind of transformed into more more counseling women and providing just that, that emotional support for them. And so um, now we're a full functioning uh, counseling service. We uh, not only service women who have been exposed to domestic violence or in abusive relationships, but also women who have had trauma in their early childhood that have, uh, they see it manifested in their inability to have healthy relationships while they make these kind of choices and not realizing that, that they need to heal that child first before they can move forward. So that's, that is where we are right now today. But yeah, it was birthed out of a uh, misery. <laughs> you know how hmm. it's birthed out of, out of misery. It was not knowing what to do because um, I'm the middle child. Kim was the, the, the baby girl and we're all four years apart, but I, that was my, she was my responsibility. Right always growing up wherever I go that's that was her so I felt a sense of of, of um, failure to her of how did I did not you know how did I not know I'm a social worker how did I not know this but I wasn't a DV social worker but still you know there was that that connection but uh it was needing something to do um before I because I, I, I got really depressed so needing something to do instead of dying myself Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. My brain is <laughs> going so many di- different directions. First of all, I, I am so sorry for the loss that, that you've suffered and your family has suffered. Um, I know that so many times that, you know, we go through things and we go through things that are so difficult that we don't come out starting Kimmy G Foundation. No. But um, I'm thankful that you did, that you decided that this is the best thing for you to do. Because honestly, there are, I'm sure in our family members and everything, we see signs, but we probably don't know what we're looking for. You know, um, right. What what do you what what are some signs or some things that we can be looking for, especially with COVID-19? Because 
a lot of times we're not getting together for, you know, Easter passed and we got together via Zoom, but not really in person. Like what what am I supposed to be looking for here? And and COVID has really increased the number of instances because but now because now they don't have the distraction of an of a job to keep them separated, mm-hmm. you know, for those a number of hours. So it's a matter of keeping them safe. But definitely um, with Kimberly, we noticed her inability to make a decision on her own. You know, normally she is uh, an independent individual and, and you see that transition of her not being able to or afraid to make a decision without the partner input. Um, I mean, just even with the bruises, the unexplained bruises or wearing long sleeves and, and when the temperature doesn't, you know, doesn't call for a long sleeve shirt. Um, um, really uh, unexplained absences in in. Uh, events or situations where she would normally be present. <clears throat> um, you can see manifested in her health, you know, headaches. Kimberly always complained of headaches, you know, stomach aches. And a lot of that is just the stress of not being able to say what's going on. So they're keeping it internal. So it's affecting their their health. You know, they, they, you may see them drinking more. You may see them using uh, some street drugs, marijuana, to just to be able to kind of cope with w- the anxiety of what's going on in the household. You may see the children acting different, uh, wanting to go to, to other people's houses, not wanting to go home. Um, and even with the victim, not even wanting to go home. Um, and even now with, with COVID, uh, probably not going outside at all because the the perpetrator is saying, you know, I don't want the children to get sick. You're going to get sick. Stay in the house. So now now they're probably more isolated than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're probably you're probably not hearing from them. You're probably not going to see them at all. You're probably not allowed in the house. You weren't before, but now you're not allowed in the house. So you'll mm-hmm. you'll see some unusual behavior that it, that, that isn't really that person's pers- uh, normal personality. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can do as a, a family member if you have questions or concerns for someone that you love? Is it, is it all on that person to come to realization and take steps? Or is there something that you can do to reach out that would make a difference? It's such a, it's such a tricky situation because domestic violence really goes beyond the physical. It's really an emotional uh, control, like a mental control. So, so that, and it doesn't start off as a physical. So it's going to start off with manipulation and you need me and they don't, they don't want you. They don't want to be bothered with you. I'm the only one that better take care of you. Those kind of things. So once they, they have them, you know, I love you. This is the way I love, you know, once they have you, you know, connected or tied mentally, there's, you can't just go to her and say, you got to leave, you know, mm-hmm. her first thing is, what do you mean? That's not him. You know, I have to make sure that I am, you know, perfect for him. Um, so it's, so the bet, the most thing that we could do for them is to educate ourselves, not be judgmental, um, and leave an open space for her, for her to be able to come when she's ready, mm-hmm. you know? Provide her with some information, leave it, just drop it in her bag, um, maybe share a story or something to get her thinking about comparing herself to that person in that story, 
you know, I use Kimberly's article uh, about her murder uh, a lot of times with uh, with women who just don't see what they're in. That way it's not coming from me, it's coming from you. And then not being judgmental or, uh, you know, I don't want to be controlling as controlling as the perpetrator. You need to leave. You need to, and, and that's the first thing we do because not because we're trying to be controlling, but because we love that person and we don't want to see anything happen. Cause I want you to get out and I want you to be safe. You got children. I want you to live, but that's not, that's not always the first case. Cause th- what it's going to do is it's going to be like, okay, yeah, he told me that y'all don't really care about me and that, you know, all that. And then he, you know, he needs me and I need him and you know, I'm, I'm going to stay. You know, like like kids, you tell them to do something, right. they're going to do the, <laughs> the complete right. opposite of what you tell them to do. Yeah. Right. I wonder, is there any way, can you give us an insight of, of kind of what a victim is thinking and feeling? Because I feel like if we could understand um, kind of the battle that's going on in their mind, and, and in their heart, then maybe we could um, take steps to be more loving and not, you know, trying to control the situation. So if think about um, there's a cycle of violence that happens and it can happen in the course of an hour, a day, a month, a week. So that, so it all starts off good. There's there's what they, we call the honeymoon stage. And the conversations are good. The interactions are good. You're doing everything well enough for to, to not, you know, provoke him into an argument or to a fight. And then there's a, a point in time, anything can happen. A toy could be on the floor. Something can happen outside of the house. There's what they call a walking on eggshells. So more than likely, she's thinking that she needs to make sure that everything is well. She doesn't say anything incorrectly. She's have on proper clothes. She's making sure that he is comfortable to, so that it doesn't provoke. But then she's walking on eggshells. She's thinking, okay, let me just make sure everything is good. Let me make sure I, you know, I answer the phone when he, when he calls me, I text him back. I'm where I'm supposed to be. Those type of things. You know, she's making sure that he's all good. And, and, and somewhere in her mind, this is how he's showing that he cares about her and he loves her. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what her background is. You don't know what she's lacked in her childhood. You don't know what she's witnessed growing up. Um, you don't know how many times she's left and went back and her family is just exhausted with the whole thing and have kind of put their hands up. Mm-hmm. So you don't really know what kind of support system she has. He has become her her, her primary uh a sense of support, even though he may not even be working and she may be, be the one working, but he's handling the finances. So she's making sure that everything is well, her kids are safe. And in her mind, she could be also thinking that I got to make sure my kids are safe. I'll take whatever I need to take, but make sure that, that they're good. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's an, an explosion that happens. So it could be, a, it could be a name calling. It could be a rape. It could be, uh, it could be a physical fight. Um, you know, and then it goes back to honeymoon and it, and then it ends with, you know, if you just would have, you know, I'm sorry, I had a really bad day at work and, you know, it's okay. Because there's, there's, there's love there. It may, may not be healthy love. It's toxic love there that she has for him. So she's going to be like, okay, you know, I know you had a bad day. Sorry. You know, she, she's, once the, the um, mental abuse gets so deeply ingrained, then she, be, she begins to believe that, it's really her fault. So 
I'm going to make sure that I do what's best or better, you know, and I, maybe, maybe we should go to counseling. Maybe we should get help for you and for your anger and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so she, she's going through an array of emotions. It depends on the day, which is why it, it, it takes a toll on her body physically, her, her emotions, um, which lead to other stressors and uh, other addictions. So there's an array of things that she goes through. And, and like I said, that cycle of violence could be within an hour or could, could you imagine walking on eggshells for a whole entire month? Hmm. Hmm. And then this is probably all exacerbated, especially yep. during this time. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 you know, don't let him be having any gang affiliation or access to weapons or uh, on any type of street drugs or drink any alcohol or, you know, have no control over his emotions, which he probably doesn't anyway. And then that, and you're locked in a house and then there's no income. And then you got kids just, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk about the children who are, you know, cause our, our children are really just looking for a stable and loving environment um, so that they can grow and, and be children. You know, what are the children what are they experiencing? Are they mostly uh, sheltered from all of this? Or could it be that they are in the middle and they see and they know exactly what's going on? A child could be in vitro and, and not sheltered from it because the stress and trauma of, of that's going on inside the body, the, the child is uh, also feeling the same. So it doesn't matter if it's a two-month-old or a 20-year-old in the house. They, they're, the anxiety, the lack of safety, the inconsistency, the instability, um, and just the fear that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the two-month-old the two can't express it, uh, but they feel the anxiety and that it's not a safe environment and there's no consistent love flowing through there. And that affects their brain, and which, which uh, during that, that early stage of development, that trauma and that abuse affects the way their brain is developed. Mm-hmm. So you may have a more loud, angry child or a hyper child because they they grew up in a household or were uh, raised in a household where their uh, brain was developed out of chaos and 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 fighting and arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, so that child will probably either be become more parentified, they become, I'm going to take care of you, mama, I got you, um, or very fearful and withdrawn. And, and, and I would say like for my niece, my niece was two and three, um, and just did not talk, you know, even though we knew she could speak. Cause like my sister was like, Oh, she talks a lot, but around us, she just would not talk because mm-hmm. she was afraid of what she would tell us you know, and what could happen to mama if I tell you that daddy hit mama all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking that, you know, now schools were in the, in the discussion about, are we going to be online? Are we going to be back in the school building? And while it's healthy for some children to be online and they're going to be fine and they're going to connect in through zoom and they're going to be fine. And then some really probably need that school day, that space to go into a structured, safe environment. Yep. Yep. And, and, and a lot of times they, they won't even be able to learn or 
the lesson because of what's going on in the household. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. School could be their, their safe haven for those eight hours. Right, right. Okay, Tanya, it is time for us to take a break. I have so many more questions, but we will be back in just a minute. You're listening to Every Heart, Every Woman, the show where women find balance, peace, and inspiration. Now let's get back to the show with your host, Carla Nivens. Welcome back to the Every Heart, Every Woman radio show. My name is Carla Nivens. I am your host. We are having a great conversation with Tanya Garnett. She is from Chicago. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's an also a certified domestic violence professional. And Tanya, we, number one, thank you for sharing um, just your story, your family's story, and and what kind of has shaped your work um, today. And so, and also, I appreciate the work that you are doing. Um, I think I want to start off this half of our conversation talking about what people can do to get help. To like, is there in because, like we said, we are in the middle of COVID nineteen school. You know, each district is doing different things. Some children may be able to go to school and be in the building and have a safe environment for um, for a day, at least the day. Some are at home. And even some of the the meetings that you could go to to get help, those buildings may be closed, you know, and so what? I can just imagine that if you're thinking, okay, I I, I want to get some safety for my children. I want to get some help, but I'm trapped in this house. Where do I go for help? And and it may appear that a lot of stuff is shut down, like the courts and domestic violence advocates and agencies, but they are open. They are open. My okay. my, my first my first thing would be to. Uh, give the national DV hotline or the hotline for that particular city. Um, um, and then they're able to tell the hotlines are available to you and they're available. They're able to tell you if there are what, uh, agencies are in your area that are accepting clients. Uh, the courts were doing things virtually a couple of months ago, so they still may be virtual, maybe a little open. Um, if there are any shelter beds available and where they are. So the, the, the help, the hotline gives a victim one number to call and, and have all services, you know, access to all services. It is a scary thing. Um, and it's also something it's very scary to, to make that phone call um, because now you feel like you have something that you are forced to do, but it's no pressure. I think the best thing you, you can do is arm yourself with knowledge so that you can make a, a, a knowledgeable, safe plan to to leave. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is the best thing you can do and maybe see an advocate or a counselor before you even leave you know, to, so that your, your leave can be safe because the, the most dangerous time for a victim is when she begins to empower herself to separate and to leave, then that, that perpetrator feel they, they have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you sent me the national 
domestic violence hotline, and that is 800-799-7233. Yes. And yes. so what you're saying is that's the national. And then you also sent me the Chicago, which is 877-863-6337. But so if, if I am a victim and I'm making the choice that, okay, I'm going to call, you're saying, honestly, there is no pressure. Like I can call, get the information. I can sit on it if I want to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay so, so, so I, let me just say this. Safety is number one priority. Mm-hmm. And if it is no longer safe for you to remain in that house, yes, please figure out a way with you and your children, or if it's just you, that you can leave and go to a safe place. Call the hotline number, find out what, what resources in, uh, are available for you, and then make a decision from there. My, so safety is number one. So when I say you can sit on it, I'm saying I don't want you to think you have to call and you have to move then if safety is not an issue. But if safety is a is uh, an issue and you need to leave now, find a place where you can go and be safe. And it's it's really hard to find a place you can go and be safe because he probably knows where your friends live and where your family live. And depending on where they are and their knowledge of that relationship they may share, okay, she over here, come talk to her. Let's let, get them calm down and get them back together. And mm-hmm. that may not be wise and they may not take your urgency seriously. So shelters are always an option. It's not the most attractive option, but it's a place where you can go and sit safely without him knowing where you are and making um, very wise, educated decisions on what the next move is. Mm-hmm. And they also provide uh, emotional support and resources available for you if you need to start over. Okay. That's that that's wonderful. So I would like to talk about stress and self-care. Yeah. Um, so right now there's there's a couple of things that could be stressors. You know, you are working from home, you may not be reaching out with to as many people as you usually do. Um going to get together with people and just shooting the breeze and having fun, that may be limited, you know. Uh, money may be a stressor, your job or the, the um, you know, if you're going to have your job in the future, these things may be stressors and your children are at, are, are at home 24-7. Yep. <laughs> that could be a stressor. So many stressors. <laughs> so many stressors. So what do you suggest for people to manage stress and to come to a point of participating in some type of healthy self-care regimen? So self-care, I think we first think of self-care, we think of bubble bath, candles and all that, but self-care can be a, can be whatever you need to make you feel back centered. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just kind of calm, kind of relieve that anxiety. So, um, putting your earbuds in and listening to a meditation or music, that kind of soothes you um, because we're able to take walks, maybe take the kids for a walk because then they can get, they can get their energy out. And then you can have moments where you can just clear your head. You know, um, maybe it is having bathroom time, but I know when my kids were small, bathroom time wasn't even possible, not right. personal bathroom time. <laughs> it wasn't right. even possible. So, um, you know, uh, and, and staying connected. And I didn't realize even with myself, during this COVID, how connect, we can be these independent individuals, but we have to realize how important people, human connection is. We're not, we're not necessarily able to get the human touch, but 
making a phone call, even if you're not telling them what's going on, is just having another conversation with another human adult individual just kind of mm-hmm. takes your mind off whatever is going on. So if there's, if you can um, connect with someone, get outside of nature, f- find out those things that help center you. If it's music, meditation, prayer, if you, if it's picking up a book, whatever you can do, self-care can look like anything it needs for you. Even sitting on the couch with the candle lit, in a quiet home, if that's ever possible, that could be self-care for you. Yeah. Right. Right. I like that. And you know, one, one thing we tried to do, well, we tried to buy bikes and I didn't know, we didn't know that in this season, bikes are sold out everywhere that yep. everyone is getting outside, getting on a bike. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. So we, and, and we're, we're thinking that as well, you know, what kind of self-care things can we do to center our mind, to make sure that there are not these areas of stress that are building up and we're not paying any attention to them. Yeah. Yeah. So self-care really, really, really is important. It's important. And, and they may already have a lot of stress already because, mm-hmm. you know, he may or may not be working. And I use he because majority of abusive relationships are male to female, but there are, you know, we know that they're both and we know for even for same sex relationships, there are as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, if, if they don't leave during the day or they have those hours in the day where they're gone, you know, that could be their less stressful time as opposed to when they return from work, if they're an essential worker. And then at least they could have built their self up a little bit to be able to endure whatever because mm-hmm. self-care it, it, it is very important yes you know what I want I want to continue this on self-care okay. um if you feel like you are getting too overwhelmed you are getting you know too stressed out some sometimes we don't even know it sometimes it takes a friend to say listen I notice that you're not eating you know, as much. You didn't finish your plate. You only ate a couple of things. Are you stressed? You know, I noticed that your your answers are biting. You know, they're not, you know, your your personality isn't as smooth as it usually is. Are you feeling stressed? So when when it comes to our mind that we are stressed, what what do we need to do and to seek out help? Hmm. Um Sometimes it's as simple as picking up the phone, uh, you know, having a conversation. Um, and so it, it, and I, I'm hesitant to answer the question completely. Well, because it just seems like it depends on the situation. It depends right. on where they are in the house, where they are in the relationship. Are there children involved? Is that, you know, what can they do? Because it's so easy for us to say, go sit and be quiet, you know, and sometimes that is just that pick up the phone. But what if what if you're afraid of what you're going to say or what the response of that person is going to say mm-hmm. once they find out, hey, I'm not safe and I'm stressed. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm feeling really um, scared right now. That inclination, if it was like my mama, she'd be over here in like five minutes. Like, let's go. And that may not be the answer, you mm-hmm. know. So having a safe person to talk to, like what I'm about to tell you may freak you out, but I don't need for you to respond. I just need for you to listen. You know, and just having somebody that you can that that will be that ear, and then that person, like for us on the other side, is to like want hide that and just be ready for when that person is um, 
ready to come back. Because if you, if you, if they tell you they're at a place where they have, they are tired, they're ready. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keep that in a safe spot and leave it open so that they can come back. Don't judge. Don't, don't tell them what they should do. Don't, don't give any demands. Listen. And unless they say, I need your help, you know, it's like one of those things where you just kind of hold, I'll hold it for you. And okay. when you're ready to come back, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to help you. And that's why I said, we all have a responsibility in this. Even if we're not a victim, we, we're going to know someone. We're going to meet someone. We're going to come across someone. As long as we have, if only we have like the national hotline number in our, in our phone, we're doing a service. You know, if, if we have information about a shelter, if we have information about, you know, or just knowing, okay, I can't be judgmental about this. It, it, it will never happen to me, or I don't think it will. Um, and I don't know that much about it, but at least I can give her love. You know, I can mm-hmm. give her a shoulder to listen to. So I, mm-hmm. I think it, at a place of, I think for all of us, whether we're in a relationship or not, at a place of being like highly stressed or overwhelmed, sometimes just take one phone call. I don't need for you to say anything, but listen. Mm-hmm. And let me just get it off because the, the, the power no longer is on us or it never has power over us once we get it, once we get it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let, let's talk about counseling because so, you know, in, in the black community, sometimes counseling is <laughs> not a. It's a um, attached to it. Like you're not strong enough. You can't handle your stuff. Right. On your own. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> And and if we say we want to have counseling, you know, somebody else will say, you know, you can't trust anybody. You know, why would you tell a stranger, you know, what what should we do if we say, no, I really do need counseling. But you're getting heat and pushback from the people that are closest to you. You have to do what's best for you. You know what you need. And I think um, there's been such a. Uh, stigma, especially in the black community with our older, our seniors, um, telling people our business, you know, look, seeking help. But we have to look back and say, how did that serve them? It didn't serve them well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they transferred to us a lot of their unresolved trauma or issues and pain onto us. And we're expected to carry it and be able to operate the way they did. This generation of people are not, we're not able to do that. We have mm-hmm. to have help. And so I, I know you may get some, you may get some pushback or you may even get somebody to say something negative about it. I feel like you know your situation better than anybody else. You know what you need. Um, and if counseling is something that you are seeking, you don't have to tell anyone that you're in counseling. You don't have to get the opinions of anyone. You can go and decide if that is going to work for you. Um, you have the right to to change counselors uh, to fit your needs, what you feel like is a good energy for you. Um, but get I, get the help. Get the help. Because we, we, we are not meant to walk alone in this journey at all. Right. No parts of our life. Um, and so if it, it may have to be a stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. And and I think the best thing that you said is that number one, do what's best for yourself. And number two, you don't have to tell anybody, you I'm know, this is, this is no. your life and sure. you, you are led by the Holy spirit. If the Lord is saying you need counseling, which so many of us mm-hmm. do, you know, mm-hmm. at, at different times in our lives. Um, and sometimes- everyone should see a counselor at some point. We should. And, and sometimes even in the church, your counseling is frowned upon because they because mm-hmm. you you're made to feel like you aren't 
connected enough or holy enough, or, you know, but it's like, no, because I, I can use prayer, the word and counsel and yes. counsel <laughs> well, and counsel. counsel. Yes. It, 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 it all works. It all works. And it, it's all created by God, honey. Just, you know, get what you need. Some people may not need it. And some people may can, can go to someone in their church, but some people can't. And they don't feel comfortable with it. And you shouldn't feel shunned because that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. So let's talk about fear and anxiety, because I know that fear and anxiety, well, fear and anxiety can plague any individual at any time. But I know also with domestic violence, I'm sure that there is uh, an exorbitant amount of fear and and anxiety that is built up. Um, Could you define for us fear and anxiety? She's laughing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, I, my my first my first definition to come to my head for fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear, because a lot of it is thoughts um, that of what if, what could, um, and there's some real fear. But there's some fear that is really you thinking so far ahead of what could happen. And at the worst case scenario, that that freezes and paralyzes you and you do not move. And it's something that may never, ever happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people get stuck right there. Right. Right. And with that definition alone, I'm telling you, I'm sure that hits 98% of people. I mean, there were, I remember telling my husband one time, I said, I need you to, when I leave church, because we would, we would go for rehearsal on, on Thursday nights. When I leave church, I'm going to tell you what route I'm taking, because if I drive off the side of the road in a ditch and nobody can find me, I need you to know what route, you know, I take. And and so what, what route I took home and he said, what are the odds that you're going to drive off the road on a ditch and not stop before you drive all the way in a ditch and disappear. You know, he's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but it might. <laughs> but it might. Just, just take my route, okay? <laughs> so there are things like that, you know, that really most likely will not happen. And we're, like you said, we're overthinking things that are coming up. And what if, you know, all of these things you know, could happen. But then there are some, some real things that really, yes, that, that really cause us um, some, some fear or anxiety. What, what should we do? What, what are the things that we can do to move past some of these real fears? Real fears and anxiety. Um, And anxiety to me, anxiety and fear goes hand in hand, hand in hand, because Anxiety it is less of a feeling and more of a thoughts and more of a body response to your fears, you know. So, so you know, a lot of times we're gonna feel the feeling of anxiety uh, and fear is usually somewhere very close. You know, anxiety is one of those things. I always, <laughs> my my friend gave a clear, a, a funny example. She was like, anxiety sleeps with me, and it's looking at me right in the morning when I wake up, and it's reminding me like, oh, you're not gonna do this. You can't do that. You can, and you know, you got this going on. It's like it. I can't define it as a feeling, emotion, as opposed to just a, a thoughts and feelings. Um, but it. Those those are very hard to move past without 
the assistance of something else. You know, you can add meditation, you can add positive podcasts with other words to kind of defeat those things. You know, we as believers, we we always try to combat those things with what the truth of what the Lord said to us or about us or about that situation or his power in our lives. Um, but counseling coupled with that just helps give you a whole nother perspective because we're so stuck and uh, and like, um, what is the, channeled on what we believe to be true. Because mm-hmm. we've had experiences, we've had thoughts and feelings that help confirm all of those. May not be correct, but, be, and, be, and a lot of times they're self created because we have these self-defeating thoughts about this and then it end up happening. We confirm like, see, that's just how it is, especially when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you need that other uh, non-biased person to be able to say, have you ever thought about maybe this was what it is? And this is like, oh, I just never thought about that. So so I think, you know, we, we have to have the truth and then we have, to, we, we always be somebody to journey walk with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Don't, you know, we, we say this all the time on the radio show, like we need community, even right now, we probably need it even more. Yep. So if, if you are, I would go as far as to say, if those, if fear and anxiety is taking so much um, room in yep. your head that you are thinking that you shouldn't even venture outside the door to find community with your neighbors or something, figure out a way to take some steps to move past that because we really do. Yeah. We, we need each other. We, we need right now is so available to you. You can go in your living room and open your right. phone and bam, you can have an hour session. So let, you know, find it. And right now uh, insurance plans are paying hundred percent because of COVID um, for telehealth services. So go for it. Okay. I didn't even know that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Take advantage. Get six sessions in. You know, <laughs> get it in. That's the best news. If they're paying 100%, uh, obviously, yes, do it. So I'm going to ask you this question. I know our time is running running down, um, but really quickly, if you feel like you're hitting rock bottom, especially right now, if you're feeling like you're hitting rock bottom, what can you do to pull yourself back up? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> and it's, it's tough for everybody. Um, you know, as a believer, my first, my first thing is I, I gotta, I gotta pray. Even if I'm just saying Jesus, I got to, because I got to find some strength from somewhere. I got to, um, I connect with a trusted friend who I know is also a believer and I know she's going to pray for me. You know, um, I, I may have to sit quiet for a second and, and really, listen to what I'm hearing and, and, and say what I know is the truth. Um, but, but seek help, seek help because at our bottom, you know, we, we, we may feel lonely and isolated, but you're not, but you'd be surprised how many others around you have experienced what you've experienced and they can humanize it for you and and that you won't feel so alone, Mm -hmm. but, and, and don't let shame take you, um, and feel like you can't say anything because shame, yeah. shame, shame, will, shame will shut your mouth. Shame will silence you. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I will tell you from experience through COVID-19, we have um, had the opportunity to connect safely. When they said we're shutting everything down, we found several other families to get together with outside at a safe distance 
to continue to talk and to yep. continue to share. Like it's, so it's, it, it's very, very, very important. So important. Well, um, thank you, Tanya, so hey, much for track. this conversation. Yeah, we so appreciate it. Um, everyone, our radio show is a program of Love Ministries, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Go to loveministriesbills.org for the information about Love Ministries. You can also go to carlanivens.com come for information about what the Lord is doing in my life during this season. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next week.